Saturdays can be a very interesting time at our house. Um, so uh, yesterday evening, uh, Ethan had went hunting, and I was in my little study area looking over my stuff, and Becky was in the living room trying to find which song she was going to sing today. And she kept going through some of the songs, and I'd yell for my study, Not that one! And then she would yell back, why? And then I had to make up some really political excuse. And uh, sometimes I say, that's just not it. Ethan walks in and he just stands there like, I mean, it's complete just our neighbors, no doubt. They don't know what to think. But uh, that was the last song that she practiced. And I said, that's it. That's it. And as I sat there this morning, now, I, I was 47 years old when I came. Now, how many pastors can say they've been somewhere nine years and they've got more hair now than they did when they started? But I do. Uh, but over those nine years, I looked around and I looked across, and of course, with what we went through this year, but... Uh, as Matt was talking about, I think about uh, those calls. Uh, we were sitting at supper Friday night when I got the text about Nathan. And it's just, you know, it just rattles you. You have to stop. You, I mean, we're trying to eat and we're like, okay, we can't eat right now. And we prayed and talked about things. And there's been a lot, a lot of those phone calls uh, over the last nine years, there's been a lot of those calls over the 30 some odd years of ministry. But especially this year, as I look around, I, I think about there's been a lot of detours that we've faced unexpectedly. I don't know about you, but I mean, I was literally packing on a Friday, getting ready to leave on Saturday to go begin a revival on Sunday when the pastor called and says, hey, everybody's just really up in the air about all this coronavirus stuff. Uh, we're just going to have to postpone. I said, oh, you know, that's what we got to do. We'll do it and we'll schedule it next month. I had no idea that when we came that morning, if I'd have known that, I probably wouldn't let Randy preach. I probably would have got one last shot in. But we'd already scheduled Randy to fill in for me and uh, Randy Mullinax with uh, our evangelism uh, catalyst for our region uh, preached that morning. And that was the last time we met live until the end of May. And then not to start Sunday school uh, till last week. And then all the things that we have all faced, the phone calls, the doctor's reports, the, and I'm not trying to stir your emotions, but when it gets to those points, when it gets to that point, there's nowhere else to cry but unto the Lord. We realize everything else is just fluff, don't we? And in nine years here, God has been so rich and blessed us so tremendously. There, I had to kid someone the other day because one of my deacons said, hey, listen, if you hear a rumor that you're leaving, 
And I said, what the deal? What, what's the deal? And they said, well, some people don't understand all the polity of the Georgia Baptist Convention and uh, Southern Baptist life. And they think if you get elected vice president, you're going to leave the church. That that's a full-time position you're going to be leaving. And what was funny is this person asked, asked the deacon, said, what do you think about Brother Matt running for this office? And the deacon said, I think it's great. So immediately this church member thinks, well, I've always heard about these deacons. Now I see the truth. But the deacon Mike Toodle explained to them, he said, no, you don't know. That's not the way this works. It's a volunteer position. And you don't know. I said, listen, and, and I, I'm real careful because I don't want to make blanket statements. I want to trust the Lord in all things. But in all seriousness, um, you'd have to run me off with more than a switch. We are so, so thankful to be part of this unbelievable body of believers called Eastside. It has been the balm of Gilead. It has been in the scope of 30-something years of ministry. We've had some great days. But this has been the oasis that is a great ministry. Not because of what I have done, but I stand on all of your shoulders. The Sunday school teachers, the deacons. And I'm thankful for my deacons. Y'all think I'm blowing smoke. I'm serious. I'm thankful for all 11 of them and how integral and active they are in daily ministry of this church. For our greeters and our ushers for those who work in our office, for our staff, for the ones who clean and the ones who help with basketball and the ones who help with children and with youth and with senior adults and all, everything that it takes to make up this body of believers. Uh, it may be pastor appreciation, but this pastor appreciates you for your prayers. And listen, I am so thankful for my fire extinguisher. Y'all think that's a joke. I really like that. I need that in my car. If you've ever had old cars or old tractors or something, you need a fire extinguisher. But for all the gifts, my desk is covered. For all, I, I just had to put my phone down this morning, getting sidetracked from all the, the birthday wishes. Um, all of that is wonderful, but nothing compares when you look me in the eyes and says, Pastor, I pray for you every day. I pray for your family. I pray for your children. I pray for our church. There is nothing like that. And for that, I am eternally grateful. I can honestly say, I don't understand why in the world anybody within 10 to 20 miles of this place doesn't come except for the fact they don't know how wonderful it is and it's up to all of us to tell them. Now it's not just wonderful to be here for Sunday school, to be here for the wonderful worship with the music and things like that, but we're here because we have a wonderful Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so this morning I want to pontificate on a phenomenal and awesome message 
And so hear me today. Now see, those of you who haven't looked at Facebook don't know what I'm talking about. You just think I'm acting stupid. Those are all comments that people posted that say I use very frequently. So I had to try to get as many as I could in this morning. Well, I, I, was, I, was, I was getting to that. It was phenomenal. It was awesome. You hear what I'm saying? You listening? Turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Have you ever felt like you were taken advantage of? I know I have. Someone completely fooled you by what they said or what perception of them you had. You're like, I can't believe they would do that. In the life of ministry, sometimes Becky and I would come home and we'd say, we just can't get close to anybody. It's like the moment we get close, something happens. And oftentimes people are looking for whatever you can offer them to make their life better. And it does not matter whether they step on you and climb up the rungs of your back to attain the goals they've set in life. Oftentimes we are overwhelmed with this feeling of being completely taken advantage of to the point people have quit church because of people. And I talk to people all the time, hey, why don't you come to church? Man, I'll just tell you now, them people over there and them this and that this and back in my young days, someone in church. But no one has ever said, Jesus let me down. Not one. Not one has ever blamed Jesus for why they don't come back to church. They blame people because they're fooled by the idea that men or women, especially those in leadership, are somehow closer to Jesus and reach a pinnacle of perfection that they can't. And they're immediately let down because you can't put human beings on a pedestal and not have them kick the legs out from under you. Listen here, Peter warns us that the world is full of imposters, evil people looking simply to get what they want the way they want it on the backs of anyone they can manipulate. Don't be fooled. I didn't give you all my thing, did I? I'm just kind of busy. Thank you. All right, so we're going to trudge ahead while they're making up for my lack of ability to remember. I am old. I'm 56, as Lottie Moon told me this morning in my office. Listen, don't be fooled by the things of this world. I mean, how many, how many of us, Matt alluded to the whole fact of the bad news. It's not just the phone calls. It's TV. It's the podcast. It's the whatever we're listening to, seeing. 
And being a part of it seems like we're inundated from school to politics to all other kinds of things. We become full. Listen, people are believing that somehow American government will save their life and provide for everything they need. Never meant for that. God never meant for that to be. God always said, I'll be your God, you be my people. It was when Israel, the Hebrew children, took their eyes off of him that the problems came. Read your Old Testament over and over and over again. Even the most faithful righteous kings fell along the way because they began to believe what the people were telling them. That they were great and they were wonderful. Remember, knowledge, the very first message in 2 Peter, in the very first context, knowledge is power. But it's only as powerful as what you know or who you know it about. Knowledge of the truth, which is in short supply in this world today, amen? Knowledge of the truth is power. We must grow the right way. We, first message, knowledge is power. Second message, knowing is growing. But we must grow the right way or we'll grow deformed. And so we must do it all in Jesus. Look back with me at the latter part of verse 9 in the second chapter. Or just start in verse 9. The Lord knows how, now I don't know about you, but it always does me a good reminder to hear the Lord knows. What does the Lord know? Yes. The Lord knows you, the Lord knows me, the Lord knows the goodness, the Lord knows our problems, the Lord knows tomorrow, the Lord knows the end, the Lord knows the past, the Lord knows. That's who we ought to be trusting. The Lord knows how to deliver what Becky sang about this morning. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Over there in Psalms, as Matt read this morning in the earlier Psalm, he said, fret not. Fret not for evildoers. God is reserving. He has not forgotten. He has not fallen asleep as Elijah mocked the prophets of Baal. He said, has your God fallen asleep or maybe he's taken a trip. But the moment he called on the living God, fire fell down. Listen, he said, but chiefly, knowing that God, God knows how to deliver us from the temptations, out of temptations, through the temptations, and is going to take care of the unrighteous, the unjust. He said, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are great, greater in power and might, do not bring a railing accusation against them before the Lord. They know their place. But these, as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not. 
and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Listen, today, if we're going to keep from being fooled by the world, and don't personalize it, okay? I can, in my mind, right now, in the flesh, think of some very specific people that have fooled me. That, listen, I've still got the scars to show you. And they're not physical scars. They're the ones that's much worse. There's the scars of the heart and the mind where Satan uses it and tries to bring it up and calls me to bring, bear a grudge or to carry something forward into the next day and the next year. And the person who injured me don't have a clue. I'm not doing anything to hurt them. I'm not doing nothing to correct anything. All I'm doing is injuring myself. So if you've got that baggage, can I give you some great advice if you miss everything else today? Bring it to Calvary and leave it there. Listen, if we're not going to be fooled, then we must, number one, watch where we walk. Now look, watch where we walk. Go back to the slide before that. In the latter part of verse 19 in this context, he said, For of whom a man, listen to this, for of whom a man is overcome in our mind, our body. Coach, this is stuff we teach our players. Because I have marched football teams onto the field of really powerhouse teams, and my team stand there and watch them. I'm like, we're beat before the whistle ever blows. Because we've read something in the paper or we've looked at, at who is ranked and who's going D1 and we're right at all this kind of stuff. Listen, that's why we love upsets. But upsets go out and they get this. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into bondage. If someone or something is overcoming you spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, whatever is overcoming you is what has brought you into bondage. Does that make sense to y'all? Unrepentant sin, unforgiving spirit, whatever it may be, you're allowing the things of this world, the people of this world that are not eternal to overcome you, and in doing so, they have chained you. I got news for you. They may have locked Paul up, but they did not have him in bondage because they could not overcome him. Peter, Peter was overcome with doubt, with dread, with all kinds of things to the point he denied the one. He said if everybody else leaves, he wouldn't leave him. But yet Jesus chose him to preach the first message of the church age. And just a few days after that, they charged him with beating and says, don't ever say anything about Jesus again. He said, it's better for me to obey God than men. Listen, church, if we're going to keep our self pure in the Lord, then we've got to first watch where we walk. Watch where we walk. Now, it's been bow season. If you've ever hunted in the early season, somewhere along the way before snake boots, 
and all that, you walked into the woods somewhere and a limb or something jump up and slap you on the back of the leg. Anybody ever had that happen? It will absolutely, you will go to high stepping, you'll go full on Pentecostal because you just know you're snake bit. And it's just a limb. And you're in the middle of the deer woods, there ain't nobody around, but you still got to look because your pride has been injured. And so you watch where you walk. Listen, this is what he said about the world's walk. He said, first of all, in verse 10, they walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. Lust. Now, there are three categories of all, that compromise all sin. We see it in the garden, and we see it in Matthew 4. We see it in the garden where Adam is overcome. Adam and Eve are overcome by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He, Satan challenges them and says, hey, you can be a God. Pride. They looked on it and it was beautiful to see. Oh, man, that's got to be good. And the lust of the flesh, oh, it's going to taste so good. It's going to be rich. And Satan tried the same way with Jesus. Throw yourself off. Look at all this. It can be yours. Turn that stone into bread, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Satan fell in all three. Jesus conquered in all three. That's why we have the last Adam. That's why we have a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We must not walk after the flesh. The things that the world lusts after. The things that catch our attention. There's a reason they call it window shopping for a reason. The only place I've ever been that was a big fancy store to shop in that almost didn't have a display and it was in New York and the display, there were no windows. I mean, I loved, I, would, I used to, I wouldn't go now on a bet, but we would walk through, I mean, we would walk nearly from Central Park all the way down to Ground Zero, see all the shops and all that. But the greatest thing was the, the animatronics and stuff that they would compete for Christmas. All the, the robots, all the, you know, the Christmas decorations and all this. But this one store had none of those big windows. They had none of that stuff. They had one display that was about this wide and about this tall square. Tell them, Dina. It's Tiffany's. Because it wouldn't do 99% of the American population to look in that glass no way. Yeah, don't go. Number one, it's just about as easy to get in the White House as it is to get into Tiffany's. Matter of fact, we did not go in there. All we did was look in that little glass at that 200-something thousand dollar yellow Diamond. And Big said, why would anybody want that thing? It looks tarnished. I said, I'm with you. It's about a name. It's about the other things. But people want to do it. Why do we wear stuff that's got names all over everything? Because we want people to know what we've gotten. I can remember as a boy, listen, we didn't want to wear tough skins. 
We want Levi's. We'd rip those old plastic things off our, our pockets. Y'all remember any of that? The Kmart track shoes. I lived for hand-me-downs from somebody. I didn't have any older cousins that were male and close to my age. So I had to hope a friend would give something. But I usually end up with a pair of tracks. First pair of Pumas I ever got. Man, blue with a yellow stripe on them. They were cool back in the day. Or, for most of you to understand, my first Forrest Gump pair of Nike tennis shoes. The white ones with Forrest Gump didn't live back then, but they were the first ones. Man, what a... But I lusted, I had to have them, I had to have them, I had to have them. You know, it's like the boy in my favorite spiritual Christmas movie that all he wanted in his spirit, he was right for a moment, but he began to yearn and envy and crave his BB gun. And everybody said, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. And the moment he got to go out there, the first thing he did is he shot it. It hit a piece of metal and bounced back. And he laid there, couldn't find his glasses. And all he could think of is, I've shot my eye out. Have you ever thought that in your spirit? God kept saying, don't do it. You don't want it. You don't want it. You don't want it. You don't want it. And you kept saying, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. And finally, tucked around the corner. You found it, you got it, and you thought, I've shot my eye out. You see, the world walks after the flesh. They lust after things that are hollow and meaningless. That's why we have a term called trade-in. But then they despise government. Does this sound familiar to you? Peter could have wrote this last week. So the Bible's so out of date and stuff. Listen to this. Chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. We see lust of uncleanness in the world. You know why MTV doesn't really hardly, I mean, there's still a channel on there, but they don't even show music videos anymore because they cannot get them on regular TV because they're so crude and so terrible so perverted the things that we hear and they try to show us today. He said they despise government. That's in 2,000 year old document. They despise government. Do you know what the word for that is? No authority. They're anarchist. Have you heard that? Looks like the Avenger A with a circle. They're anarchists. You know what anarchy is? One who causes disorder due to an absence or non-recognition of authority. I'm thankful for our authority. I'm thankful that we have police officers in Claxton and Evans County. I look back there at our sheriff with a, a, a police thin blue line mask and I think, when we think no authority, when we read this, all I hear or all I see is big signs from morons that says defund the police. <laughs> but you know what happens when they get in trouble? I've seen the video. They got into a big fight 
and they got it handed to them by somebody they got in their face and they started hollering, where's the police? Yeah, imagine that. That's what we're facing in the world. They're anarchists. But listen, it's, if they can destroy the fabric, there's three forms of government. And God instituted all three. Now hear me now. Number one, God instituted human government. I don't care way, well, how you feel about feminism. I don't care about your ERA. I don't care about your uh, misogynistic, xenophobic, whatever kind of word, word that you've adopted into your vocabulary. God created man first. God created Eve as a help to man. Therefore, her name was woman, and they were to be married and procreate. They had children. Children were to honor and obey their parents. The wife was to be in subjection to her husband as the spiritual head, but he was never meant to be her dictator. The Bible tells us way before he tells a woman to submit to a man, he says, man, love her like Christ loved the church. There is no greater command to anyone on the face of this earth than that right there. But even before that, he says, submit one to another. But when men, when you stand before the throne of God, he's going to judge you differently than he judges the wife and the mother. Because it is your job not, listen to me, if you're watching and you're still using things as an excuse, and you're sitting somewhere, and you depend on your wife to bring your kids to church, you ought to be ashamed and fall on your face before God right now and be the man God called you to be. God did not call the wife to be the number one spiritual caregiver. The man is to lead his home and the wife is to come along and give that emotional, loving, compassionate side and, and bring it together to where mama and daddy walk together. Now I'm going to tell you, sometimes in our house we love loud. Most of y'all probably never done that. You ever heard a couple says, in 47 years, we've never had an argument. Man, what a boring life. <laughs> you put a man and a woman whose background is Scottish, Irish, with a little twinge of German, and you have very loud discussions. Plus, we're just loud. But when the rubber meets the road, when it's time to make hard decisions, we come together and we pray. and We seek God's face together. Now, the world doesn't want that. They don't want recognition of marriage. Remember when they gave Dan Quayle a hard time? That was not over Dan Quayle. That was over his stance for traditional marriage. What other kind of marriage is there? And that's what they do today with all the LGBT stuff and all the other stuff. Listen, I want to tell you something. It is surely an attack on human government. Then there's civil government. God made judges, you remember? He even thought it so important, he called a book that. Oh, and by the way, while we're over there around the Pentateuch and right after it into the historical books, when people say, ah, 
God don't care about numbers. Numbers don't matter. He named a book after it. He named a book Judges. And he gave us judges like Shamgar and Samson and Deborah and Amy Coney, I mean, and uh, the other ones. Because it was meant, because people are going to be people. People are going to have disagreements. You remember when Moses got so wore out making judgments that his father-in-law says, you can't do this by yourself. And so they established a bench. They didn't pack the court. They just established the bench. And once it was established, then they had courts of appeals and other things that they could judge based on not man's law, God's law. Anarchist says we don't need any laws. Your laws are not for us. We don't want human government. We don't want civil government. And the third one is church government. Where we think we can, and, and listen, I'm preaching to the choir. So listen to what I'm telling you today. And listen to my heart. But there are churches throughout our nation and the world where deacons or elders or some church board thinks it's their God-given duty to tell the pastor what to do, how to do it. They're the ones who feel obligated to make sure those staff members are doing what is right. I'm going to tell you something. That pastor will never answer to you as a higher authority. He may think he does, but he's got to face God when he steps out of that pulpit. We're responsible. Deacons, it's no light duty to have someone put their hands on you and pray over you and ordain you to serve. To serve. The world doesn't like government, do they? They're presumptuous. That literally means no limits to what is done. Hey, what right do you have to tell me what I can do? Where does... Where does freedom end? Freedom ends where liberties are impeded on. When I say, and and I'm a firm believer in the First Amendment. Y'all agree with that? Freedom of speech. There's a difference in protesting and rioting. We'll get to that in a minute. But here's the deal. I'm all about free speech. There's a lot of it that they just let me know through their free speech how dumb they are and how foolish they are, and I know not to be around it. But here's the deal with free speech. It's not free speech if I threaten someone or threaten something. Listen, you want free speech? Threaten the president's life. There's such a thing, and probably one of the leading things I would venture to say, Randall, that y'all get calls on is terroristic threats or some man that's threatening to beat his wife or a wife threatening to kill her husband. And usually he probably deserves it, but she can't say that with an initial action of doing it. That's not, you have impeded on someone else's liberties. So you see, there's got to be limitations. We cannot live our lives without limits. Are y'all following me? See, my gun's at home. 
is not presuming anything on someone else's liberties. But the minute you try to take them, you will be presumptuous. Church, hear me today in seriousness. I pray there's a right outcome in our election across the board from the top to the bottom in every state and in every situation. But we're living in precarious times. When governors of states, once again, I said it last week, when governors of states says we're going to shut down religious institutions, when, when they challenge to change Supreme Courts, which you may not remember, but this was actually something you should have learned probably in middle school, if not at least high school, there's three branches of government. There is the legislative, right? There's the executive, right? And what's the third one? Judicial. And the minute you start tinkering with it, you change the complete fabric of a nation. What do you think they're trying to do now? They're presumptuous. They want no limits to what they can do. They're self-willed. The world is, we're all self-willed. You're here today self-willed, and you have to put it down. How long you want it, what songs you want to hear, how the message is preached, what you want to have for lunch. We all have a will. But our target, not to be fooled, is not to allow our will to look like the will of the world. Our will is to be swallowed up in His. You see, self-willed people are always right. And here's one. Self-willed people are argumentative. How many times have you walked away from the screen and said, Nope, not today, Satan. I mean, it is ripe for the pickings and you want to type something so bad, you want to fix it. Number one, you can't insult an idiot. You just can't. And the more you say, the more they're going to say, and all you're going to do is stir up strife. They're self-willed. We're self-willed. We want it our way. They want it our way. What matters is, what does the Lord want? Don't be fooled. But not only, and that leads right into this. Listen. He said in verse 11, or at the end of verse 10, they are not afraid to speak, speak evil of dignities. Now, I can pray for a president, disagree, and even say, I think that's terrible. I think that's the dumbest thing any president's ever done. I can do that and still call him Mr. President and shake his hand out of respect. But when we start using expletives about the president, when we start thinking and say like Hanoi Jane did this week, and only those people my age and above know who Hanoi Jane is, when she said COVID is a gift from God to get Trump out of the White House, she said that, Jane Fonda. When they say, I hope he dies, this is great. Listen, can you imagine saying that about whoever it was that you didn't like. If you've ever said that, you need to get that right with God. The Bible says that we're never, ever, ever to wish bad on someone else. I want to tell you something. You know what the greatest thing could happen is when 
We pray for our enemies to the point God says he will prepare a table between you and them. He said, can God? Yes, God can. God can save Nebuchadnezzar. God can change Hezekiah. God can change Saul into Paul. God can change whoever he wants to. But see, we limit how we look at it. We say, well, God can't do it. We need to watch our mouth. Watch our mouth. I'm guilty. Some of you are thinking, boy, you could learn that lesson. You're right. I'm still learning that lesson. We need to watch our mouth. He said in verse 10, they have no fear. They're arrogant. They just say whatever, however they want to say. And it's for shock value to try to stab somebody. We try to be as hurtful as we possibly can. We speak this of dignities where they stand in a police officer's face. I saw something that just gave me chills uh, in September where they put two pictures side by side and one was with a New York police officer completely covered, covered in soot and all you could see was his eyes as he walked away from ground zero and people, people were helping him and coming alongside and clapping for them and the next picture was some young person that was right up and him standing there looking up and she's standing this close to his face and you could see spit coming out of her mouth and he did not flinch and took it all. That's the world we're living in. And you know what happens? If you work in education, we're seeing it in schools. We're seeing it in courtrooms. We can dress however you want, do whatever you want, say whatever you want. Church, it's time for more than a revival. We need a touch from God across the board to get rid of this arrogance. But he said in verse 11, Whereas angels which are greater in power and might do not bring railing accusation against them before the Lord. Because you see, it's not our righteousness we don't have a right to say, I command you, Satan. Seven sons of Sceva tried that and it didn't turn out so well. Make sure the words you speak are done under the authority and directive of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and Him alone. David may have slung the rock, but God gave the victory. And He gave God the glory, right? He said, the God of Israel, that's where our victory is found, is in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and in none other. It's not our righteousness or our power. The angel said, no, no, that's for God. God, I, God don't need me. God don't, God do, I'll do what God tells me to do. I'm, a, I'm an ambassador. I'm an emissary. I am not God. And we're not to be ignorant. He said in verse 12, but these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. So when you say, I don't think, God's word's strong now. When God says, kill all the Amalekites, is that what God meant? It's exactly what he meant. God said, these natural brute beasts are made to be taken and destroyed. They speak evil of things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. You think that they speak 
ugly, hateful things, speaking evil of things they understand not, wait till tomorrow. You'll see it on display. They don't understand. They don't understand what it means to be pro-life. They have no earthly idea. Because they have been schooled in the thought processes of this world. We are not to be ignorant as the world is. But then we need to watch our works. He said in verse 13, And they shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to ride in the daytime. Spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. They come in amongst you, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. We need to watch our works to make sure they're not worldly. We are never to adapt to the premise of doing God's work the world's way. Did y'all hear what I just said? We're never to change doing God's work the world's way. Methods change. We didn't have basketball leagues when I was a kid. We didn't go to youth camps. But I believe they're vital. I believe they're great, great things. We didn't do some of the things that we do now. We didn't have pumpkin carvings and all that stuff. But man, what a great way to get the family together, to love one another, to fellowship. The church should be a whole life spiritual ministry to the family. But we're not to do it in a worldly way. But then he said they're riotous, rebellious. When you start burning down churches, busting out windows and stealing stuff, you're no longer protesting. You're rebelling against the system. One woman stands there and says, well, if they get a bunch of Gucci bags and all that, that's just reparations. Wouldn't you rather have some? They said, people out here starving. Well, you ain't going to eat a Gucci bag. <laughs> It'd be hard to eat that 64-inch TV. The truth is they ride against everything because they think that's the popular thing. We're not called to be social justice warriors. We're called to be warriors of the cross. And you know what kind of warrior that is? One whose number one tool is truth. And that tool is double-pronged because truth is always presented in love. We don't hate our enemy. That's the difference. We don't hate our enemy. There's an old English general during World War II that says, We must teach our boys to hate. For that which they hate, they will fight. I get that in the war. But the truth is, God says, if we will love our enemy, bless them that despitefully use you, God can use you to change their heart. Spots and blemishes. He said they're in the church. We look at churches today. I want to just tell you, over the last 150 years, we've saw the growth and the decline of the Presbyterian church, the Methodist church, to the point that the Presbyterians are already split and the Methodists are on the verge over social justice, evil, worldly axioms rather than biblical doctrine. 
And if something don't change quick, the Southern Baptists are going to do it too. I can remember looking back through current history, the church of God was where God was pouring His Spirit out. It seemed like in the 60s, but they lost sight of it when they got into name it, claim it, and all about the prosperity gospel, and all about sign gifts, rather than presenting Jesus Christ crucified, risen again in the newness of life. The Methodists have left their moorings of being like Sam Jones and the Wesley brothers. Uh, the Anglican Church, the Church of England, left those great leaders such as Whitfield and the Southern Baptists are leaving where we began with men like Criswell and Havner and Mercer and Rogers and Vines and Stanley. We've left that. When Lifeway, our own, what we called Sunday school board, I think we ought to get back to Sunday school board. Get rid of trying to do business in the world marketplace and minister to the churches. When Lifeway has to sue their former president for a non-compete clause and pay him a million dollar severance and a car, Something's got jacked up. When our religious ethics and liberty commission of the Southern Baptist Convention that we support makes no verbal stance in today's society against government doing what it's doing to pastors and churches, we've lost our focus. Spots and blemishes. When North American Mission Board sues pastors and pastors sues them for blackballing them, when Lifeway is suing their former president, when all these other things are going on in some of these places, you say, why don't we just leave? I'm of the firm believer if we're going to be of it, we ought to fight for it and fight for the right thing. I'm not going to run and hide. That's not in my DNA. God didn't call us to run and hide. The armor of God doesn't have a backing. And it's time. If you don't know anything about it and you're a member of this church, shame on you. You ought to find out about it. You ought to read up on it. You don't like to read? Well, just be ignorant. Watch your works. Don't be a spot and blemish on the holy garments of God. But surrender your senses. He said in verse 14, having eyes full of adultery that, call, that cannot cease from sin. They just can't help themselves. Beguiling unstable souls, a heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. He's not talking about saved people. He's talking about lost people in the church. Church, we've got to surrender our eyes and look where God wants us to look. See what God wants us to see and make a covenant with our eyes not to look in places we shouldn't look. We need to make a covenant with our hands with, that we will not feel out and do things with these hands that God tells us not to do. Because we think if we can just get a hold of it, we've got control. Alexander the Great had conquered the living, civilized world by the age of 30 and drank himself to death by the age of 33, buried in a coffin that he required them. He said, when you bury me, leave my arms sticking out that I may hold the dirt for which I have conquered. 
Don't think this world is yours. Solomon said, you build a house, somebody else will live in it. And they'll usually fight over it. Ears. Remember this song? Be careful, little children, what you hear. Be careful what and who you listen to. You hear me? On the right, on the left, we're not called to be on the right or on the left. We're called to be over the Bible. I'm talking about in the political sense, in the spiritual sense, we're going to be right. If you're saved, you're going to be right because you're not going to get left. You like that? You like that little play of words? Timmy, you like that? And finally, real believers, real believers. Look, look with me again in verse 19. While the world promises them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption for of whom a man is overcome of the same is he brought into bondage. Listen, real believers must, number one, walk with the Lord. Not walk after the flesh, despising government, no limits, self-willed. No, we are to walk with the Lord. Walk with the Lord. Paul said walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh. Number two, we're not to just let our mouth say and do whatever ever we want, arrogant, in our own righteousness, ignorant. We are to talk to and of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you talk about, listen, yesterday was one of the best Saturdays I've had in a while. Football, all day, all day. Hey, and it didn't start yesterday. Georgia Tech won Friday night. Georgia won yesterday. Alabama squeaked one out at the end. Man, what a good day. Y'all keep hating, baby. People hate winners. Ain't that right, Gatiss? Listen, but with all of that being said, when you stand around and talk about what happened Saturday and me and Mike was texting. I said, dude, what's his name, Johnson? What's that receiver's name uh, for Jackson? Man, one pass, Bennett throws the ball, looks under throne. He slows down. He's like, oh, he's overthrown. He speeds up. I'm like, that dude is on, off a game. He is, on, I, I text Mike, I said, that, that guy is Julio Jones good. He is the real Deal. But when you're standing around talking about that, do you ever look for a way to bring in Christ? You can bring Christ into everything if it's not done in an ungodly way. Every, every way. Any way. You can bring up the Lord. We must walk with the Lord, talk to and of the Lord, and as they come to the instruments, do our work for the Lord. We're not doing works of the riotous, rebellious ways. We should never be spots and blemishes. We're to do our work unto the Lord. We said we've got to surrender our senses. We've got to give the Lord our hands our heart, our eyes, our mouth, our ears, our nose, everything about us so that we are swallowed up in smelling the sweet smell 
of the Lord and His righteousness to see what God's plan is for our life, to see there's hope in a hopeless world, to feel what God can do in our lives. We must, we must surrender all to the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're everything I just talked about that we shouldn't be. You may look good on the outside, but inside you're dark as night. You're lost and you need Jesus. If you're saved, but your life does not resemble it, your life resembles the, the, the sad, rebellious, evil of the things of the world. Somehow over time you've just become a negative, arrogant, mean-spirited, covetous person that needs to get right with God. Peter warned us, don't be like the world, be like Jesus. The old song says, all to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. Let's stand. If you need to come to the altar, come today, I pray.